Hi, you're listening to Yeah, It Can't Be Good, a rewatch podcast of the sci fi original series Eureka. Let's get started. Here's Doug with the synopsis Season 2, Episode 2 Try, Try Again. In coordination with Allison Blake's first day as leader of Global Dynamics, the facility's massive computers undergo an eight-hour reboot, audit, and reset. While the computers are offline, Global's storage vault supervisor, Victor, reports that a suspicious blank spot has been discovered on a shelf. An item is missing. Writing credits, Jamie Pavia, Andrew Cosby, and Charles Grant Craig. Directed by Michael Nankin. Original air date, July 17th, 2007. Thanks, Doug. Hi, this is Vicki, and I'm here with my co-host, Dud Gramley, to talk about Season 2, Episode 2, Try, Try Again. Hi, Dud. Hey, how are you, Vicki? Good, how are you? I'm doing okay. Okay. In this episode, we have Allison has become the head of GD, and Fargo pushes a button. If you talk, then it'll be too late for you, too late for Fargo. He wasn't supposed to turn it on. Why, it's Fargo! Of course he turned it on. But there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about quickly because in the last episode that I recorded with Skip, we got so preoccupied by Kevin's clay molding expertise that we totally forgot to mention probably the most important part of the episode. Carter was having a hard time keeping the two timelines separate and Henry revealed that he had Jason's memory wiping machine that he had adjusted to be able to wipe out that entire timeline from Jack and himself. Do you remember that? Was that before this episode? Right, be- no. yeah, the last episode before this one. So I just wanted to mention it quick in this one, since okay. we totally forgot about mentioning it, and it's really important. Henry says he's going to wipe both Jack and himself, but he wipes Jack's mind, and then he destroys the machine because he's angry, and he doesn't ever want to forget. Yeah. I've noticed that he is much angrier. This episode, yeah. Yeah. When he first smashed the machine, saying, I'll never forget, at the time I thought he was saying he'll never forget that Carter stopped him. But I think he doesn't want to forget because he wants to figure out what happened. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch. Well, you don't have to. I just wanted to bring it up. But at first, when he smashes the machine, you think that he's he says, I'm never going to forget because he's mad at Carter, and he's never going to forget that Carter didn't let him save her. Yeah, I think it's more him never wanting to forget her. Yeah, that's what I think now, but I think that's not what I thought the first time I watched it. I think, uh, you're, I think you're right, and I think that's what I think now. You thought that he was holding, uh, that he wanted to hold a grudge against... Uh, against Carter. Yeah, Carter, yeah. And then I thought uh, that... I think it's more, yeah, I think it's more just not wanting to forget his uh, girlfriend or ex-girlfriend, whatever. And then the second thing I wanted to bring up, which probably isn't, there's no answer to, but it's just something that popped in my head. We saw Kim in episode three of the first season, before I forget, and at the end, she was moving to Eureka, and they offered her a job. We didn't see her again until episode 12, when they had the accident that killed her. Right. In the meantime, we had the whole thing about Henry wanting to leave Eureka. We kind of forgot about Kim when Henry wanted to leave Eureka, but now that we have the accident and she died, we remembered, oh yeah, she was there all this time. 
So why would Henry want to leave Eureka when he finally got Kim back and she's in Eureka? I know there's no answer to that, I don't think, but Yeah, I don't know. I think he was just he's just growing more frustrated. Yeah. But so. Kim was supposed to be the love of his life and Jason kept him from her and he got her back and then it's like they didn't think we remember that Kim was there. Yeah. I honestly I forgot that she was there. I so did I until the accident. All right, well, let's let's move on. I was just thinking about that, and it was bothering me. So Allison is the head of GD now. Yes. She's walking into GD, and everybody's saying, good morning, Miss Blake. And first, I find it odd that she's not acknowledging anybody. Yes. Finally, she says, what's all the fuss about? Every, I was Allison yesterday. Yeah. But then, when it comes time to deal with Carter and General Mansfield... She's turned a whole different corner. It was like, what's the big deal? And now it's all business. And she was telling Carter to stop screwing around. And I get that, but he really wasn't screwing around. Yeah, it's her first day, right, as a right. uh, leader of Global Dynamics. So I feel like maybe walking in, she just didn't want to make it a big deal. And for her, it was just going to be business as usual. She didn't want to make a big fuss about it. And then later on, I think there was just so much pressure that, of course, on her first day, something was going to go wrong. You know, like, and and throughout the whole episode, and I don't know if you caught this or if you were thinking along the same lines, but the General Mansfield, Mm -hmm. he kept on egging her on and almost insinuating that she couldn't handle the job, that she had to be tougher. She had to make tough decisions. Right. And then I don't know if it was because she's a woman and he was trying to put her down almost that she couldn't handle this this job yeah i i would almost go with that scenario because she's a woman because i mean it was every decision that she was was unsure of exactly either had to go a or b and she she was hesitant to make a decision for her own reasons mansfield kept on saying you need to do this you have to be tougher You, you know you can't handle this job blah 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 so i'm not sure if it was just because the previous leaders of GD were all men, and maybe she was a yeah. woman. Or... I think you're right. I think that's probably the way. I mean, although he seems to be like that with everybody, but maybe not to that extreme. Yeah, yeah I don't and... know if I'm just more sensitive to it now with everything that's going on in the world. I think you're probably right. I think a lot of it was him being condescending because she's a woman. Yeah, I don't think he was trying to motivate her to make the decision. I think it was purely to put her down and tell her that she can't do this job. Yes, I, I believe that. I mean, we've seen him before, and he pretty much doesn't change every time we right. see him. But, yeah, in this instance, that was not motivation. He was trying to break her, to make her see that she can't do this job. Right. Yeah, I agree totally. So she goes in, and they have to kind of switch everything over from from Nathan to Allison. Mm-hmm. So they have to go through this whole process of the computers rebooting everything and I'm just I'm still fascinated that a place so sophisticated like this their computers have to reboot for like a full day I actually wrote that down too yes I know you would think that they'd be able to kind of speed through this process a little bit or there was a better way I mean I can understand that there's a lot of sensitive subjects right you know in here and then there's you know a lot of protocol that has to be followed but I would just assume that... It could know, go a little quicker, yeah. It would go a little bit quicker yeah. than you know, full, you know, 
eight hours or whatever, however long it took. It's like shutting down the police department right. or something for eight hours. Yeah. You know, with no access to any information whatsoever. Yeah, I get that. And I wrote that down, too. This is the first episode that we meet Larry. And I think you were the one who pointed it out to me. I don't think I even noticed the first time I watched the whole series that every time we see Larry, he's going to be eating. Yeah, uh, Larry, Larry's kind of Fargo's... Nemesis. Nemesis, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he always seems to have... I don't know if that's like his thing. I think it is, and I didn't even notice that. I think you pointed that out to me the first time you watched the series. You know, I knew he just showed up and he was Fargo's, like we said, nemesis. And I probably noticed he was eating, but I I didn't notice that every time we see him, he's eating, pretty much. Yeah. Watching it back, they did a really good job of making you think that he was involved. You know, I, I certainly thought so the first time around. And then the second time I watched it, it becomes a little too obvious that be the uh, the culprit in this. Right. And so since we're talking about this, Fargo discovers a device in his jacket pocket. And of course, Fargo being Fargo pushes the button. I believe those were Jack's exact words, right? Fargo being Fargo. Is Were they? I think so, yeah. I think he was telling somebody that, of course, Fargo being Fargo decides to push the button. And this is the first of many buttons that he'll be pushing throughout the series. So what happens is this force field forms around him. Apparently it's a discarded project because somebody died, we find out later. When I knew we were going to record this episode, I tweeted at Neil Grayston. So um, I asked him if he had any memories about this episode specifically. And he was nice enough to reply. And he replied that the half bicycle seat I had to sit on to achieve the floating effect was rather painful and probing. Uh, yeah, I can, I can imagine. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know it occurred to me until I read that. But the funny thing is, after I read that and when I was watching this episode, uh, you know, I was I guess I was paying more attention to him floating. And so you could see the way he's sitting that, yes, they must have him on a bicycle seat. But there's a scene, and I think it's about 22 minutes in, when Fargo is in the, the cage and the bubble expands and it expands again and breaks the cage. Yeah. And he's with Joe and Carter. It expands, it expands, it breaks the cage... They go to Joe and Carter, who are ducking, and when they turn around and they go back to the cage, the whole bicycle seat stand is is in the shot. There's a big wooden stand on the floor and a, a black pole, which they forgot to take it out in post-production. It's about 22 minutes in, 22, yeah. 27, I think. But I don't think I would have ever noticed that, obviously. I didn't never notice yeah, that. Not said, yeah, not Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was funny. But it was nice of him to reply. Henry is in therapy with Beverly. Yeah. Trying to get the okay to go back to Global to work in Kim's lab. So while all this is going on with Fargo, Larry takes over Fargo's desk and pretty much moves right in. Yeah, like <laughs> nonchalantly sits there. Becomes, yeah, yeah like nobody's going to notice. When they're trying to find out who stole this force field, this personal force field, because they do believe that Fargo didn't steal it, although Victor tries to identify Fargo and frame him for stealing it. Yeah. They do understand that it wasn't Fargo that stole it and somebody who's trying to frame him. Victor, we find out, really is only selling it for parts. He's not selling classified secrets, although I'm sure he's still in trouble. But there's a scene where they're chasing him, and it was funny because, and I, 
I always remember this scene, and I think I tried to explain it to you once, and I can't remember what show it was. And it might have even been Hawaii Five O. I cannot remember for the life of me, but I always remember there was this big guy running, but he wasn't. He was going through the motions of running, but he wasn't. He was pretty much walking. Yeah. Because he was just big and he couldn't. And the two detectives are walking behind him saying, what are you doing? And he's out of breath and running. And he's saying, I'm running. And they're just like strolling, you know, keeping yeah. right up with him. And I can never remember what that scene is from, but it reminded me of this. Yeah, because he starts running and, and Joe is just yeah. really walking behind him. Yeah. And he gets nowhere. And I someday I'm going to remember what show that was because it was funny. And I always remember it when I see a scene like this. And I have no idea what it was. But anyway, Henry is obsessing over Kim's accident going through footage. And he sees footage of Beverly either removing or placing some little disc thing under Kim's desk. Yeah, I think this is the, the first time someone becomes a little suspicious of Beverly. Yes, for Henry. But, you know, I always thought there was something about Nathan and Beverly. Even from the first episode, it seems to me that Nathan knows something more about her and what's going on with her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to remember the scene, and I think it was the first episode, although it couldn't have been the first because Nathan wasn't in the first, So, but one of the first few episodes. And she was in GD for some reason, and they shut down whatever was going on and Beverly said something and Nathan said, oh, I'm sure you're really happy that it's taken care of. And then she did her evil smirk. I'm not saying they're working together or anything like that, but it always seems like Nathan knows a little bit more about what Beverly's up to than he lets on. And maybe he's helping her, I don't know, but he seems to know a little bit more about what's going on with her. Yeah, I don't know. There's not very many interactions between the two of them. And when there is, pay attention next time. Now, okay. See, now it's starting to pay attention to. Yeah. <laughs> so we find out that this thing is, uh, like we said, a discarded project because it's dangerous and it killed somebody. So Carter and Nathan. Now, I like when they work together. Have to yeah, work this to... Was, um, yeah, this was a good, a good episode. I think Nathan has been humbled mm -hmm. that he's been removed from Global Dynamics. So he's kind of on a life path now. He's not sure what he's going to do. Yeah. And I, I think he was actually planning on leaving Eureka. Yes. And then this device gets pushed, and now Carter needs help. So going to Nathan, uh, and the, the two of them end up working together for majority of the episode. You know, I, and I think they work pretty well together. They do, yeah. There wasn't a lot of sarcasm or back and forth between them. Right. So when they worked together in the past, Nathan was very condescending. Towards Carter, yes, and Carter was very sarcastic with Nathan. Yeah, and I feel like I don't know if it was just because it was Fargo that was in danger this time around. Maybe, but they seemed to be on the same page. They were kind of feeding off of each other, and if one was doing one thing, the other one was doing something in the background to help and whatever. So, I think their relationship kind of grew a lot in this episode. Yeah, me too. I think you're right. I think a lot of it had to do with Fargo. Yeah. So they go to find the scientist whose project it was. And here we meet the guy that we have in almost every television series. And we have more than once in this series. The guy who invented something that either ruined the world or killed somebody. So I'm going to go sit in the woods and never talk to anybody again. 
So I could feel bad about the horrible thing I invented. And instead of helping people save somebody from the horrible thing I invented, I'm going to sit here and mope and feel horrible about the horrible thing I invented. I hate that. If I was a character, that would be me. I would just go <laughs> mope in the woods. Okay, so, so you invented something that killed people, and you're going to mope in the woods, and yes. when somebody takes your invention and and somebody's in danger, you're not going to help, even though you feel horrible and you need to mope in the woods to get rid of all that grief and guilt that you have instead of helping people? Yes, I would. I would. Okay. <laughs> you shouldn't have pressed the button. <laughs> My question is that I thought once you leave Global Dynamics, like you're in this town for a reason. Yes. And you work at that company for a reason. So once you're done there, you're done. You're, you're, they remove you from the town. They erase your memory. I, you know, I don't know. Right. They, you're gone. So how is this guy who just decided to leave and not do anything, how is he still there? I'm assuming he's still there. They I think made so. They pretty quickly. They right. make mention leaving the town or anything. So. Right, right. I don't know. I thought about that, too, because we come across a couple people like this during the series. And yeah. I wondered about that, too. Unless they weren't fired and maybe if you leave on your own, you're allowed to stay. I, I don't know. I had that same thought. Why do they just get to go live in the woods? I don't know. I mean, everybody there doesn't work for Global, but again, like I said, I still think originally everybody was brought there. So, I don't know. Maybe if you're not removed or fired by Global, you get to stay there. Because it sounds like he left on his own. Right. But I did think of that, too, because there's a few other characters along the way that are pretty much the same. But it was annoying to me, because if you're that grief-stricken... guy, you know, he he refused to help. Right. They had to go back to him again for a second time. Right. Beg him to help, which eventually he comes around and decides to look into it. But everything that Dave tried up until this point has not been working. Nathan's tried shooting some kind of quick drying epoxy or something around the force field to hold it in place, and that that didn't work. So I I guess, like, the whole thing with this force field, that it just kept on getting bigger and bigger around Fargo and would eventually, I don't know, Take over GD in the town. Yeah, take over right. and, and just keep on growing. So their attempt to try and keep it contained as long as possible to find a solution. Right, because what happened with this Dr. Todd before he left GD is a man got trapped in this force field and it got so big that they had to bring it to Section 14. So this is the first time we've I've, we've ever heard a section that high up in numbers, right? I think so, yeah, which it's just a pit, yeah, like yeah. a deep pit where they would drop bombs, nuclear bombs, I guess. How did they, it, so this pit, the Section 14, it's a two-mile deep pit, and yeah. they dropped the device with the person down the pit mm-hmm. and dropped the bomb in the pit. How did the device come back up from the pit? How did the device not get destroyed if the force field and the person were destroyed from the bomb? Wouldn't the bomb be a one-time use? Yeah, but what I'm saying is that you drop the device, which creates a force field, and there's a person stuck inside the force field. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Right, so they had an extra device. Drop the bomb, and then the the force field is destroyed by the bomb. The person is killed by the bomb, but the device... Is on the shelf in GD, yeah. They were able to get the device back up a two-mile deep pit. I doubt it. They must have had a, more than one. 
good question. Didn't even think of that. Well, I didn't even think that they may have made more than one, because why wouldn't you make a, a second death device? <laughs> maybe they made it before they knew it was a death device. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, like he said, they had to drop the guy into the pit and then drop a nuclear bomb on top of it. And boy, when they opened that pit, even on TV, I got a little nervous. I had a little anxiety. Yeah, too much. You don't realize how deep it's, yeah, it's, it's deep. And then when Joe was standing there looking down, obviously I knew she wasn't going to fall in, but still, I was getting a lot of anxiety just looking at the pit. But anyway, they figure out that something magnetized this device, so it's not growing as quickly as it did back in Dr. Todd's day. So that kind of helps them convince Dr. Todd to come back and help because he does think there might be a solution now. All of a sudden, Fargo yells that the force field's shrinking and that the device shut off, so they think it's taking care of itself. Yeah, it was draining energy from something. Yeah, whatever energy source it was using was gone. But apparently, as everything that they make in Eureka, it had some backup default. backup battery, yeah. Yeah. So once it shut itself down, it turned red and started drawing energy from Fargo's body. Right. And of course, in Eureka, the default backup is always worse than the original tragedy. So knowing that this thing was going to eventually kill Fargo, Jack figures out that if Fargo dies, the force field can't draw energy, which means they're going to have to try and kill Fargo. The only way to stop this was to more or less kill him stop Fargo's heart right so this thing would just die and then that would be the end of it so meanwhile this entire time they are down in section 14 and General Mansfield is telling Allison that she has to drop him into the hole and they have to drop the bomb and this was the decision that she had to make you know she was trying to hold off as long as possible to see if Carter and Stark can come up with a solution and the general is you know chirping in her ear saying she has to make a decision she has to drop drop him in there and stuff but i like when it seemed like it was too grim and fargo was more or less doomed yeah they bring in beverly to talk to fargo and as like a last rites type of thing and see how he was uh doing and he starts to dictate his farewell letter to beverly and uh <laughs> i like that he penned a letter to allison blake about her being the most intoxicating woman that he had ever met and then decided to add another letter to Joe and just told Beverly to substitute Allison's name for Joe's name. <laughs> and then he said, why don't you just write one for yourself as well? <laughs> <laughs> so he was just kind of going through all the, uh, the ladies in town. I know, even at the end, he had to be Fargo. Yeah. <clears throat> Fortunately, Dr. Todd had his sonic fishing... What was it, a shot? Yeah, it was, it was a fishing rod. It was a sonic device that would just shoot the fish and then knock them out. I don't fish, but if I did, I wouldn't mind having one of these. <laughs> it pretty, uh, seems pretty cool and effective. So, of course, again, Carter comes up with this idea on his own to use this device to shoot through the force field. Being that it wasn't an actual projectile, it was a it was a sonic blast. Right. Sound would be able to penetrate through the force field and they would charge it up enough to where it would stop Fargo's heart and, in essence, stop the device from working. 
Joe, being the, <laughs> the marksman that she is, decides to take a shot, right. which I think she enjoyed. Yes. Yeah, and shot Fargo. And it worked. Yeah. It was a little, I guess, a little scary. His heart had stopped, so they had to use a defibrillator to get it going again. All in all, uh, everything ended up working out, as it normally does. Yeah. And his first words were, who ripped my shirt? Yeah. Fargo to the end. Okay, and pretty much the last thing that we find out at the end of the episode was Zoe retook the exam that she failed and come to find out it is a driving test. So that's what we have to look forward to, Zoe driving and Carter not being happy about it. Yes. Is there anything else that we skipped over? I think uh, I think we hit, uh, hit on everything. So I was online, I was just kind of researching the, the episode and I came across a, a little note that Allison's master password for Global Dynamics yeah. apparently was 8675309. Right. And they said Stark's password. I never get um, to see what that is. I try to see it every time. Yeah, it says that it was 255-4766. Okay. Which I guess spells out Allison. Oh, uh, really? Uh, I'm gonna yeah. have to, now I'm going to have to watch it again. Yeah, I knew about the 8675309, but I could never figure out what Stark was punching in. Well, that's cute. Yeah, that's a nice little uh, little thing. Well, I found it odd that you're changing your password and you have 15 people standing watching watching you you punch in your password. I mean, should anybody be concerned that you have all these bigwigs, these very important people in the room when this is taking place and Fargo is one of them? Right. Standing right there watching. I know. I know. I feel like he is actually (laughs) the most powerful person. He is. I think you're right. Nian might know more than than anyone. I know. You're right. But then another thing, too. You know, I know that Nathan wasn't technically fired. But still, if you're fired, like Carl Carlson, we're firing you, but you have to stay here and fill out 15 boxes of paperwork. You're fired. Leave. You know, who's going to do that? And with Nathan, they demoted him, but still, he has to come to this whole ceremony to release his security clearance. If I'm yeah. fired, I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Coming back for all your, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, yeah. If, yeah. Once I get fired, right. I'm, I'm gone. Carl Carlson, you're fired. But here, here's a stack of paperwork. You can't leave until you fill this out. You're fired. Right, yeah. What are you going to do if I don't Right. <laughs> So we've reached the end of the episode, and we will be back next week for Season 2, Episode 3, and I think I remember Try, Try Again. Am I right? Uh, that was this episode's name. Ah, that's why I have it written down, because yeah. it's this. <laughs> season, uh, episode 3 is unpredictable. That's right. I knew that, too. Oh, well. I tried. Close. One of these days I'll get it right. See, and I wrote it down, but it didn't help. All right. All right. We'll see you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay, DC, tell us what's next. Join us next time for Season 1, Episode 3. Unpredictable. See you soon. Please remember to follow us on our Facebook page. Yeah, that can't be good. At Facebook.com backslash Eureka Rewatch. Or on Twitter at Eureka Rewatch. Links to information discussed during our podcasts will be added to our website at EurekaRewatch.com. You can also listen to our podcast on Podbean. If you'd like to send us an email, please email us at EurekaRewatch at gmail. We would love to hear from you. And we're now also available on Google Play.